he tells the man Moses, he says, I want you to make two trumpets. God's speaking to him and he says, this is how I want you to confront Israel. Fascinating stuff. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. As we learn the Bible today in Numbers chapter 10, in about five minutes, we're gonna be talking about this. It is a good time to look at the Bible. Corey? I'm gonna be taking a look at the ever interesting Ark of the Covenant today. Ryan? Who was Moses' father-in-law? Some passages say Jethro, but others say Reuel, and still others say Hobab. Well, we're gonna see if we can figure this out a little bit later on in the program. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time and I look forward to hearing that. Janice? Sounds of the Shepherd. And that's coming up in about 25 minutes time. In the meantime, take out your Bible guide, turn to today's passage because this is very interesting. Sounds of a new culture. Let's open the Bible and see what God says. Numbers 10, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound, the advance. The sons of Aaron the priests shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. Numbers chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13. That's what we read today. It's the law of God, the books of Moses. And the way of ancient Israel notified itself for announcements and events. This was not through media. It wasn't through messages published on paper or broadcast on television or on social media or the internet or on radio, but through sounds, specifically the blowing of trumpets. As Israel was being organized into a new nation, God told Moses to set up messaging systems of different trumpet blast. Now, this is an example of using the technology of the day to make life functional. The leaders of Israel would be able to gather the people to warn them of an attack or to give instructions through this signaling system. Sounds were very important. And this makes me think on what sounds define our culture today. And it strikes me that we're a very loud culture. There are so many technological instruments signaling for our attention. All they want is our attention. 
And often it is the communication that is the most important thing, and that's easiest to ignore. Today, I have an idea. Let's turn our computers off, put our phones silent, and let's pick up and read the scriptures. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Well, the other thing to remember is that this is the scripture on the iPad, so I can do that as well. But it's important for us to hear the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. These are his words, and his words speak to us. A lot of people say to me, I just want to hear the Holy Spirit. I want to hear the Holy Spirit. I'm like, well, have you read the Bible today? Because those are the words of the Holy Spirit. Very important. That's something we need to remember. Take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and uh, we'll help you find one. I mean, just click on the page, takes you to donate page, and then you can download it in a PDF file. Look at it just like we printed it. It's really, really cool. A lot of people do that. Today, sounds of a new culture. Father, help us to understand what this means. Help us to understand the reality of not allowing ourselves to become interrupted by all these things. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name to hear you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You know, the Bible says in Numbers chapter 10, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work and you shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. That is something. Fascinating. See, the Lord commanded Moses to make two trumpets to signal the people of Israel. Now, remember, God uses public places. God uses public media to address the culture today. And you might say to me, wait a minute, how is that possible? And I simply would say to you, you're watching me on a computer, on a phone, on iPad, or on television. I'm just teaching the Word of God. It's not me. These are the words of the Holy Spirit that you're seeing. Very, very important. So then we go back to Numbers chapter 10, verse 3. And this is important. Let's listen carefully. He says, When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall be gathered before you at the door of the tabernacle, of meeting. So here's what we have. God instructs Moses how to call the people for worship before him. God instructs Moses, that's important, on how to call the people for worship before him. Has God instructed your pastor? If you're a pastor, has God instructed you? You need to pay attention to that. We are called weekly to gather together to worship the Lord. You know what? We should worship the Lord. There's no better way to keep yourself straight, get yourself straightened out, and get yourself focused on God than to once a week on the internet, at a place, somewhere, set the time for the Lord and learn about God. <laughs> of course, I, I, we do that every day here. We spend 15 to 20 minutes reading the scripture. But we need to do that, beloved. And I would encourage you to do the same. Think it through and make sure. Now, we do one program called the Weekend Program that covers all the scripture. 
My daughter does it with her husband and it's called the weekend program. You can see that on her YouTube channel. You can see that on our website, but there's another day, the seventh day, we don't do anything. And because we assume that people know that that's what they need to do. So we need to pay attention to that. Very, very important. Now, look at this. This is really interesting. Four through eight. But if they blow anyone, or if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps on the south side shall begin their journey, and they shall sound call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. Now, forever throughout your generations. Now, pay attention to that. Listen carefully. God directs and moves his people through the sound of the trumpet. The last scripture we read, forever and throughout the generations, okay? We are moved in our spirit through the instructions of God's Holy Spirit today. His words are in the Bible. And those words in the Bible told us and spoke very clearly. Now, it seems to me that when the Lord comes again, there's going to be the sound of a trumpet. I, I, I don't know about you, but I can tell you something. I believe the, the Lord does what he says, and he says what he does. He doesn't mess around with us. He tells us the truth, just exactly how it is. So I don't know how it's going to happen, but I do know there's going to be a sound of a trumpet and something's going to happen and we're going to know the Lord's coming and we better be ready. Beloved, if you're not ready, I want to encourage you because this is bigger than any government. It's bigger than any collection of governments. It's bigger than any human thing. This is divine. It's bigger than anything. The universe, bigger than the universe. It's divine. God is not limited. And so we need to understand we need to come to the Lord. And if you want to come to Jesus today, simply come to him and say, Father, I am in, I'm a sinner. I need your help. Come into my life. I need your Holy Spirit. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I need you to help me right now. I need your help. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Now listen carefully. God will respond to you. Pray it and be serious about it, and the Lord will respond. Very, very important. Think it through.
Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today I'm dealing with an alleged Bible contradiction which involves Numbers chapter 10, verse 29, which identifies Moses' father-in-law as Reuel. Now, Exodus 2 also identifies him as Reuel, but Exodus 3, 4, and 18 call him Jethro. And then in Judges chapter 4, verse 11, he's called Hobab. So it seems we're facing an identity crisis here. Just who was Moses' father-in-law, really? Well, let's study. After 40 years in Egypt, Exodus chapter 2 records Moses' unexpected flight to Midian after slaying an Egyptian foreman. There, he meets and marries Zipporah, whose father's name is Reuel. However, in subsequent chapters, Moses' father-in-law is called Jethro, not Reuel. Further complicating the issue is that later on, in Judges 4.11, the father-in-law of Moses is said to be neither Jethro nor Reuel, but rather Hobab. Thus, the Bible seems to be at odds with itself on this point, as it leaves Moses' father-in-law with an apparent identity crisis. In truth, however, anyone claiming that the Bible is in contradiction regarding this man's identification would be committing the logical fallacy known as bifurcation. Also known as a false dilemma or an either-or fallacy, this is when it is assumed that there are only two exclusive options, when in fact there is a third possibility. For instance, in the case of Moses' father-in-law, the critic has assumed that one person cannot ever be called by more than one name. Either a person is called A or B. Yet there are many examples in the Bible of people having more than one name. Some of these include Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, Jacob, Israel, Esau, Edom, Simon, Peter, and Saul, Paul. In fact, it still remains common in our present age to have more than one name. It seems to be no different with Moses' father-in-law. That being said, a careful reading of the scriptures in question reveals that not all of these names belong to him. While there's no question surrounding his identity as Jethro, a name that means excellency and may have actually been a title rather than a proper name, the names Reuel and Hobab could not both have belonged to him since they were two different people. As Numbers 10.29 clarifies, Reuel was Hobab's father. The question at large is, was Jethro father Reuel or son Hobab? Believe it or not, a convincing case can be made for either. For example, Judges 4.11 plainly identifies Hobab as the father-in-law of Moses. Of course, this presents a challenge to Exodus 2, which clearly identifies Reuel as his wife's father. However, it is biblically and exegetically possible that father here means grandfather, meaning Reuel would be the grandfather and Hobab would be the father, Jethro. On the other hand, it's also possible that Judges 4.11's identification of Hobab as Moses' father-in-law is a mistranslation of the original text. As one scholar points out, both father-in-law and brother-in-law have the same three consonants in Hebrew, and therefore here would be better translated Hobab, the brother-in-law of Moses. If this be the case, then Jethro would be father Reuel, and Hobab would be his son, as well as brother-in-law to Moses. Whichever name belongs to Jethro, it is absolutely certain that there is no scriptural contradiction whatsoever. So I hope that that wasn't too confusing to follow. It's kind of one of those topics that might require your own study. But to put it very, very simply, most scholars believe that Jethro's other name was Reuel. And even the Jewish historian Josephus identifies Reuel as, quote, one of the names of Jethro. 
So probably Jethro's other name was Reuel and his son's name was Hobab. But regardless, to claim that there's a contradiction here is, as I said, a logical fallacy known as bifurcation, otherwise known as the either-or fallacy, which is when it's assumed that only two options are possible, when in fact that there's a third option. So in this case, what the critic is really claiming is that this man can either have this name or he can have that name. But the reality is, is that he can have more than one name, which is a third option they did not consider. And, you know, I mean, this idea of either one or the other is a way that you use in logic to get people, you know, in certain cases, you ask somebody, did you stop abusing your husband or did you stop abusing your son or something? Well, whatever you say to that, uh, it, it, it puts you in. There's a third answer. I never did abuse them. And mm -hmm. so that's really interesting to hear that logic and uh, hear that statement. Corey? All right, well, today we're gonna to be taking a look at some of the imagery behind the Ark of the Covenant. So we're gonna be looking, you know, culturally, Israel has come out of Egypt. And so there is a cultural backdrop from which to understand the Ark of the Covenant. So let's just jump right in. At Sinai, God gave instructions to Moses on how to build the tent tabernacle as a sacred space. Within the tabernacle, there was to be an even more sacred space, the Holy of Holies, that would contain a gold-covered box, the Ark of the Covenant. To understand what God was communicating to his people, it's necessary to look at their culture of the time, that of Egypt's new kingdom. When we do, we discover that Egypt had many parallels to the Ark. The Bible does not call the Ark of the Covenant by the same word as the Ark of Noah or the Ark Basket of Baby Moses. Instead, it uses a word that means coffer, chest, or coffin. In Egypt, a coffin wasn't just a place to inter a dead body. It acted like a substitute body for the spirit of the deceased, a place they could return to. There are Egyptian boxes that were ceremonially wrapped in a red cloth, just like the Ark was. And with the discovery of the undisturbed tomb of King Tutankhamun, a perfectly preserved Anubis chest was revealed. These chests carried the organs of the deceased in the funeral procession to the tomb. It was a wooden box covered with gold inside and out, like the Ark. It was carried by poles attached to its bottom, its lid was referred to as the mercy seat, and a statue of Anubis sat proudly on top all features of the Ark of the Covenant, except for the idol. Rather than an idol, the Ark of the Covenant had two cherubim, angelic beings with outstretched wings that met together over the mercy seat. From between the cherubim, God's presence would meet with Israel. Protective winged creatures also created sacred space in Egypt. There are multiple examples of Egyptian winged goddesses, protectors of the divine with outstretched wings whose tips touch. So what does all of this mean? Mainly that God was using cultural imagery familiar to the Israelites to speak with them. Rather than being just another one of Egypt's gods, God was above all. Sacred, as represented by the boxes, the tabernacle structure, and the winged cherubim. Present, to speak with Israel, as represented by the mercy seat. And greater than any image, there was no idol image of God. The Ark was also a type of reliquary, a place to put sacred things. Inside the Ark at first were the tablets of the law given to Moses on Sinai. These tablets were likely flakes of stone that measured around the same size of one or two man's hands they needed to fit within the Ark. Placing them inside the Ark corresponds with the Near Eastern practice of placing a treaty at the feet of the chief god of the people. 
The Bible tells us that the ark was also known as the footstool of God. These comparative studies show us that God chose to use imagery that already symbolized issues of the divine to the Israelites, but he rearranged it to reveal himself. He didn't expect them to use his language right away. Instead, he spoke to them in theirs. So I hope that you find that background imagery and symbolism for the Ark of the Covenant to be as interesting as I do. I just think it adds so much depth to our, our understanding of what Israel, what ancient Israel coming out of Egypt would have thought and would have understood about these images that God chose to use to speak of himself and about himself. Now, just a quick comment on that. Like, I know that, you know, I'm an older millennial, millennial. I'm right on the older cusp of, of that generation of millennials. So I'm online a lot. And I see a lot online with online skeptics of Christianity or people who are kind of deconverting from Christianity, deconstructing. They have this really shallow idea sometimes that the Bible has to be completely unique, not borrowing at all from other cultures in order to be real. And that just really doesn't make any sense. Israel didn't exist in a vacuum they had a culture. Their culture had symbols and ideas and imagery that they understood. And God chose to use those images and rearrange them into something that was unique, that spoke of himself. So we should see cultural context from, from surrounding areas because God was creating a culture out. He was drawing Israel out of other cultures. So don't let this kind of idea uh, trip you up when you're studying the Bible. Very important to remember that too. Mm -hmm. And uh, because a lot of times people interpret the Bible as, well, what's it say to me today? It's all about today, today. They don't understand that the Bible speaks across time and talks to those cultures in ancient times. And we can apply that in this time if we pay attention in context. Totally. So very good. Janice? Well, something that God did talk about was shepherding and sheep. And while I don't know a lot about sheep or even being a shepherd, I know what Jesus pointed to. And why would I talk about that today from Numbers 10? Well, we're talking about two silver trumpets that God had spoken to Moses to specifically make these silver trumpets of hammered work. And they were going to be used to call Israel for specific times, for specific reasons. And we see a lot of imagery and trumpeting throughout the Bible and especially in Revelation. And you talked off the top, Rod, about um, the sounds in our culture today, how that we are a very loud and a very noisy culture. And I thought about the sounds in our world and yet the sound of God's voice. And I was reminded of what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 10 in the New Testament of the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, this is in the New Testament, which we will be dealing with later on in the year. But there's a portion in John chapter 10 where Jesus is talking about shepherds. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the, sh the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. 
Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. In all of these sounds in our world, and all of the voices, and all of the, the ideas that try to grab our attention, Jesus says later on, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Later on, down in that chapter, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. This voice, this voice of our shepherd, the shepherd that we follow, that's what we need to focus on in our busy, loud culture. Will it be a loud, booming voice? Will it be a still, small voice? If you follow Jesus Christ with your life, if you put his word in your heart, you will know his voice. You will know it. And that is what sets us free. That's what keeps us on the right path. We don't run ahead. We stay in behind and we follow the Lord Jesus because he is our shepherd. Read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and see those things that God has made available for you and me because he loves us so very much. He has given us everything that we need to live our lives well here on earth and in preparation for us to live with him eternally. Imagine that, eternally living with our shepherd forever. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I would say this, that if you go to YouTube and look for Pastor Rod Henry, there's a new program we put on there for February. It's called Beyond the Call. And it's testimonies of people. And I want to encourage you to go to it, check it out and subscribe to it because we're putting more and more things on that particular place. So that's Pastor Rod Henry, and click on subscribe and you can check it out. In the meantime, let's pray and say, Holy Spirit, help me to follow you today.